You are listening to a podcast that will focus on one question. What the fuck, what the fuck, fuck is, going is going on, on in this, on in this goddamn, goddamn world? world, 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 world. <laughs> Welcome to New Normal. I am your host, Brian Newfang, and this is a podcast about mastering life's changes and challenges, an artistic expression of personal growth and a journey through the multiplicity of weird things available to you and me for that growth, personally. Here, we are going to be exploring things and ways to help shape our inner world and improve the experience of outer reality on some radical, practical, mystical, spiritual, physical shit. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. You know, nurturing our creative parts doesn't always make sense in the way it impacts our health and happiness. It really comes down to one word, I think, and that is play. Playing, playfulness, P-L-A-Y as a value. And I'm just going to go on record and say that if you want to be better at everything all of the time, play with yourself more. Make a habit of allowing yourself some spontaneous moments in your day, in your life. Pretend things you see mean the opposite of what they say and open yourself up to the possibility of those things as potentially being true. I mean, the more you practice play, the more you can embody an emotional agility and resilience to stress or whatever life throws at you. Whenever life doesn't go as planned, embody a mindset of playfulness. Playfulness is a value that the serious nature of life can harden out of us. If we forget the elasticity of our presence is cultivated in moments where we allow ourselves to be other than the unconscious habits we've assigned to genetics, destiny, or fate, play with yourself. I mean, look in the mirror right now and stick out your tongue. Make a face at your face. Change your voice. I mean, as adults, we pretend play is just for kids, but the healthiest, most creative people I know are the most playful. And I'm not going to bore you with the science, but the research is there. Play is just as important for adults as it is for kids. It changes us. It breaks us out of our rigid patterns and habitual behavior. Some of the studies have shown the value of play to relieve stress, improve brain function, stimulate the mind and boost creativity, improve relationships and your connection to others. It keeps you feeling young and energetic. <laughs> I mean, who cares about that really? But it helps you develop and improve social skills. It teaches you cooperation with others. Play can heal emotional wounds. Psychodrama is real. I mean, that's another aspect of how play in the theater is, is used in combination to help improve our health and well-being. I'm playing with myself right now. I mean, I'm speaking to an imaginary audience. I'm alone, but I don't feel alone. The imagination works like a muscle and very much falls into the lose it or use it category of things like the physical aspects of our body. Our being needs to be utilized and stretched just as regularly or we risk losing touch with one of the greatest aspects of our humanity, our creative imagination. Okay, well... That's me stepping down from my soapbox. In today's episode, we talk to my friend Lucia Britzi. 
And Lucia is an actor, comedian, and coach. She can be found creating comedic personal growth content in collaboration with her alter ego and personal growth guru, Talia Bravo. In addition to coaching corporate and private clients through her company, Lighten Up Leadership, uh, she is also a founding member of the WOM Theater Collective. That's W-O-M. Suggest you look it up. Now, I met Lucia uh, a few years ago when I was coaching CrossFit uh, in Silver Lake in a gym the size of a walk-in closet. Now, we connected on our love-hate relationship with the self-development and spirituality and the comedy inherent within anyone in that space that takes themselves too seriously. Lucia runs workshops online and in person when that was allowed. She challenges her clients to make subtle yet profound shifts in their perception by embodying play in the form of an alter ego and through various exploratory exercises and creativity. Her approach pushes the boundaries of normalcy and forces her audience to peek outside the dogmatic ways of thinking about self-help. Her coaching has actually helped me over the years get out of my own way to expand my outlook on living a creative life, both personally and professionally. But her timeless wisdom shines through in so many weird, wonderful ways. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lucia Britzi. Awesome. We're recording. Lucia Britzi, welcome to New Normal. Thanks for being my inaugural guest on the oh, podcast cool. thing. I'm so excited to be that person. And actually, before this, I was taking a midday nap, which like, I have this thing where if I take a nap, I get like, I don't know if you have this, but I have this anxiety, like get up before I'm like fully awake. So I like get, I get really anxious about the fact that I don't just jump from like nap to like being fully at a hundred. And I have like this weird tension in that moment. The first time I ever went on like a silent meditation retreat, mm. it, it was such a enormous relief and it actually did remind me of like a child like state because when you're a child you can really be in that observer mind and like watching everyone and you have no obligation to be anything for anyone which in a sense like we shouldn't feel that way but we do like we walk around basically like being this person for this person and that person for that person and when I first experienced being with people but not having to perform at all it was it was like part of the reason why meditation, what drew me into it was actually the social element of like being with people, but not interacting in that way. Being alone together, mm-hmm. which is something I've heard said about what we're experiencing now in the, in the pandemic. Um, but that actually begs the question, when did you first do a silent, because you're talking about a, vis, a Vipassana silent, like 12-day meditation retreat, or what's, what was your uh, entree into that first. practice? So, so it actually, um, I, I'll be honest, like, like all great endeavors started with a crush. So this teacher was like, I called him like yoga bachelor, because he would have he in the before times he would do these big um, retreats in Topanga in this like big kind of manor house and the house mm-hmm. is just staffed with girls who are just there because they're kind of in love with him but like also <laughs> but then he's the toughest fucking scary like demon like come into my lair and then we like stare at like we like face death through meditation practices and like really hardcore like breathing techniques and just like all the shit to like sit in your darkness which like you know is like the thing it's like that's the fuck for me it's like that's the way in right it's like going into it 
so it was so interesting to go in with like, I have a crush and I'm just gonna look, look pretty and they'd be like, holy fuck. So then after that experience, <laughs> that was my first meditation retreat with some people that we share in common. And then mm-hmm. after that, that's when I got like really started to get really serious about meditation. And then I signed up for my first Vipassana and then I've done two since. The last one I left early to go to a dominatrix training and I had to like lie to get out of the, like basically I had to escape in the dead of night. It was crazy. Right. <laughs> that answers my question and what makes me want to take a left at dominatrix training. But I want to actually go back because um, say that one of the things that I enjoy about your work and who you are, and it's not really a good segue, but uh, the idea of playfulness as um, an approach to personal growth. So what is your um, background and training in terms of bringing playfulness to your work and how you help and, and how you work with people as Lucia Britzi, the coach? Yeah, I think like one thing that, you know, I think it's like there are certain things that were just like, I always feel this way that like our survival mechanisms can become our greatest strengths. And then it's like the effort and the, the awareness to separate ourselves from the compulsive behavior that was a survival mechanism and then keep the gold that you got from it. So for me, it's like comedy always was like, I grew up in a very like unhappy house, like lots of screaming and, and chaos and not good feelings. But I was like a little bubble of positivity. And it wasn't just because I'm like a fantasist and can go into my bubble, but also because I have this ability to like, it, it became my superpower to be like, all of these things are happening. Everyone's feeling these certain ways. And then I can like do a thing that like distracts or pivots or like cuts the, you know, undercuts it. And then everyone's laughing. And, you know, I wasn't always successful at it, but that was always like my effort. So I think that's how I became a comedian. And so comedy and the dark have always been like completely intertwined, you know? It's like, how do we say the thing we're not allowed to say? Or like, I would develop alter egos even as a child to just, I had this woman, Lucinda, who just be like really bitchy to everyone. And one day my mom was like, you're not allowed to do that anymore because you're just using her to like be a bitch. And I was like, yeah, because I'm not allowed to express myself. You know, like it's hard to just be like a sweet girl all day long. So I feel like I'd always utilize like performance and comedy to express like the fullness that I wasn't allowed to or able to express and then that becomes like the invitation with my coaching work to like give people an opportunity and and even so I, I am a coach and I've also started to bring in my alter ego because I feel like when there is that like one level on top of reality it just like there's like one level more of freedom rather than one level more of like figuring something out it's actually just like okay we can actually release a little bit more fully because there's like an invitation and oh this is play Mm -hmm. what do you remember what age you were when you started to become aware of your own superpower it was like middle school was when i was like labeled as like the funny kid you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i think before then i always wanted to be on stage but i didn't and I all I like used to do like it was really young when I was really really little I would do an Al Bundy impression like I'd put my hand in my pants I'd be like football and like all my brother's friends would think it was so funny so I was always trying to get approval of like older boys which is like very particular like thing for a little girl you know like the little girl who's like eating dirt and like bragging about how many curses she's got right like you right. knew your you knew your audience at that point yes yeah and I knew talk about you would keep them around nice and keep that attention coming. Um, I can definitely relate to that. I think my um, bend towards comedy 
so started out as a coping mechanism, you know, to distract from the chaos that I was living in. Um, you brought up the word alter ego, and uh, there's probably going to be people listening that aren't familiar with your other work, which is the life and time, <laughs> the life and times of Talia Brava, somebody uh, that you have created as an alter ego or through the you know, the, the work of play that is involved with um, exploring uh, alternate sides of your personality. Um, and I know this per- firsthand uh, after having worked with you th- um, in one of your workshops. When did that, I've, I've listened to a couple of interviews that you've done in the past, and I kind of known you over the years as this has evolved. Um, what, like, what does having an alter ego do for Lucia? So Talia Brava is kind of an entity in and of herself. Yeah. Um, what, what does that do, though, for your reality, for your real life? Yeah, what's so interesting is it, like, it has been a journey. And at first, I, used, I probably would have said a few years ago, because I've been doing this for like six years, I probably would have said, like, she's my shadow. She's all the things I don't want to be. But I think that was a bit, it, it was true then. But what's happened now is it's just like an alternate expression. Like it's not, and, and I even say this when I'm Talia, I'm like, who's more real? I say what's true. Lucia says things to make you like her, you know? So why is it that I, you know, so she's actually become a vehicle for like expressing really harsh truths and like through just a different perspective. And like, so in the beginning, I'll say the seed of it, which I think is the invitation when I like teach alter ego work is like mm-hmm. things I didn't want to be like, you know, I don't want to just post a picture of my butt. I'm not that girl. Well, Talia Brava is, and she's going to get attention for it. That'll be fun, you know? So it's like, it was actually, and or just having a nasty thought and being like, that doesn't belong in my consciousness. Well, how can I make a joke out of it and speak it through the lens of Talia? And then I can express that, you know? Because I do feel that thoughts are cheap. We have a million of them. And that when we take them so seriously, and we let them define who we are. And then we feel like mm. shit because we've had a bad thought. That's like, that's entrapment and and it's it's especially true right now with everyone being so like oh my gosh i had one thought like i'm a bad person i need to go like hide away when it's like actually you can have a thousand thoughts a second and it's your integrity depends on what thoughts you act upon um i'm just gonna bookmark that because it's a it's such a valid point it is like the trap of the ego is to identify our you know like who we are with the quality of the thoughts that we have, which are always determined by, you know, environment, whether it's, um, you know, internal or external. And I think it's such an important thing and and something that I want to, uh, you know, like help people uh, uncover for themselves, which I think is true for you as well, is to really look at, yeah, the trick of the ego is to, to make us think that we are our thoughts and that the, we have these things. And I certainly, uh, you know, have done an, enough work now that I can speak to it, you know, a little bit more understandingly. But there was like a time, maybe even three or four years ago, where I couldn't stand myself at certain times where, you know, these cycles I would go through would, would be like, maybe it's related to a depression type cycle where I'm just like, having an abundance of these really just nasty thoughts about myself and thinking, well, this is what I deserve or what I, you know what I mean? Like just things are really kind of suppress uh, the goodness in me and identifying more with, you know, the quality of thoughts. And it's really, it's like the content of your thoughts is a lot 
seems to be determined by, you know, like what you had to eat or how much you've moved your body or what kind of media you've been consuming on what kind of regular basis. And the quality will change as you change, right? Yeah, absolutely. I actually had this moment when, because I think, you know, the thing about Vipassana is like, it's basically you're seated in meditation from basically 4 a.m. till 9 p.m. Like it's, it's hardcore. Hmm. And what, you know, the physical endurance is challenging for sure. Um, but really what drives people crazy is you can imagine is their brains. And I had this one moment in there when I re- realized you're not like your anxiety and fear is all about maybe having a future thought that you're going to decide to stop or you're going to decide to quit. Like it wasn't even that I was fighting like that anything was happening now. It was all thoughts of fear that I might act on a, a thought in the future. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I had that really strong aha where I was like, it's just a thought and I don't have to act on it. And then I played this weird game with myself. I was like, think as many thoughts as possible right now. And I just thought the weirdest, craziest thoughts like rapidly. And then I was like, see, so you didn't act on any of them. Good for you. You know, and I think some people might have, might have a hard time discerning that kind of thing and, and making a differentiation. But like for you, it, it took the this, vipassana is it vipassana or vipassana vipassana Pashana. i'll learn how to say that someday something that i've really been collecting thoughts on recently um and tell me does this happen to you where like i don't know if it's what they call the reticular activation system or the law of attraction or like the gravity of your own thoughts but like an idea or a thought will pop into your head and then over the course of the next couple of days supplemental information starts just sort of falling into your lap. You're like supporting that idea. So yeah. a couple of, this leads into the conversation. A couple of days ago, I had the notion to, to do a search for what it means to have agency in your own life. And it was like, I just found my mission. Like I really want to help people create agency in their own lives, which is what exactly I think you're talking about is feeling not necessarily in control of your own thoughts because you can't stop that deluge of, you know, activity in your brain, but the agency is to feel like you have the ability to stop a thought or to counteract, contradict, you know, utilize, you know, repurpose. Um, so, and I, and I think a lot of the work that you do as a coach and even as Talia Brava and, and all of your, um, your take on well-being, wellness is about helping people feel a greater sense of agency within themselves so that they can express who they truly feel they are or want to be. Everybody could probably benefit from developing an alter ego. I mean, rappers have them, comedians have them. If you look around, you realize that, and even like a politician, like there are roles we put on and oftentimes we're putting on roles unconsciously. So it's like just consciously putting on a role. And even like when I'm working with coaching clients, it it's not necessarily necessarily that they're going to develop a whole alter ego, but it can be as simple as like, I'm really bad at sending emails. Okay. Well, who's the part of you? Like if you could hire someone who's really good at sending emails, like what qualities would they embody? Okay. How do we feel that into yourself? So mm. it's really just, it's, I think agency is a great like um, framework because it really is. It's like making 
conscious choices out of what's been unconscious. And I do think we're in like the fight of our lifetime for our consciousness right now. I mean, like there's, you know, like the slot machine owners of like Twitter and Instagram and all that, they, they know very well what they're doing and they don't let their children play on phone. So it's like, we really, really have to be, and I keep calling it like me mind control because it's like, it's, I, I have these moments where I'll look at my Instagram feed and literally everyone's repeating each other. And if they don't, it, it got to a point, I think that was really intense and I think it sort of slowed down a bit. But it got to the point where it was like, if you're not posting this, you're a bad person. And then it would be like the thing that everyone must post now today. I read a book back in 2009 that I didn't finish because it bothered me so much. Plus, it was really dense and hard to read. It was called The Virus of the Mind. Um, in fact, I have it on my shelf. I've thought about picking it up. But it was the first time I ever heard the word meme And 2009 was still a little like, it was like baby internet era. Like people were just figuring out how to YouTube and Twitter was new. And and we hadn't really kind of learned what the meme was, but they basically, the, the thesis, I guess, would be that information travels like a virus through our consciousness. So when you have, and you sort of instill one idea into the collective, into the culture, and you know, as a meme, not just a picture with words on it, but like, which is what those things do. They just, one meme goes to a million different people and all of a sudden it can start to shape the way you think about that thing or that actor in the picture or that bait, whatever it is. I don't like to think about it because I think it, it, like, that's like, it, it pushes fear buttons, which is on one hand the intention, but you know, that has become known to people who create media content. And I've, I've heard the term weaponized flung around, like the information is weaponized, like it's designed to divide or to sort of like, you know, play puppet strings with human behavior uh, for the purpose of consumerism, which again, ca- capitalism, whatever it is, is a part of how we th- live, thrive, work, and we're learning how to to be with it as humans in terms of living within a system. But man, I don't know why I just went off on that tangent, but I couldn't agree with you more <laughs> that the people, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Is it true that they, they don't like, like the CEO of Twitter doesn't let his kid play on the, you know, like on the internet. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. But I also feel like one thing you said that I think is really important is like, it's like there is, there is that, um, desire to not go down a fear spiral but i think that the hope is that we all we just become conscious of it so that we just get better at seeing the games that are being played and i i hope for that and i think amen right just seeing through the freaking matrix like as simple as that sounds like it's just like seeing oh right now the intention is to manipulate me into this frame of thinking i can take a step back and like actually have an original thought around this that is more nuanced maybe and I also appreciate you, Brian, because I feel like I see that, like, I think what I see when, when you post is, like, you'll use your own words. Like, you'll put, like, you know, a poem that you wrote or, like, you know, just, like, a string of words where you're, like, this is how I'm feeling about this issue. And I think that that is just sorely lacking. Like, you don't have to be a great artist to just speak from the heart. And I, that's what I, I really do try to encourage with, like, I feel like if I have any, like, mission in this moment, it's, like, freedom to express because I... I do think that in someone who has done the most like heinous crimes, I still feel like that, you know, I'm very optimistic in the human spirit. I feel like there is something beautiful inside everyone. And I think that trusting that and trusting the, the goodness of our nature is important. And I think people hide because they think like inherently there's something that's not good about them or like 
that, you know, that if they speak from the heart, they might speak wrong or say it wrong. It's like, okay, yeah, you like speaking of failure, like you might say the wrong thing. You might offend someone and then you'll learn and grow. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second because yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. Um, and, and thank you for seeing that I do try to speak from the heart. That's something that I've always valued as uh, a person on this planet and, you know, whatever I try to bring to whatever work I do. So, uh, and I think it's equally important for everybody. Um, you mentioned if you had a mission. So I want to ask you if you, have it written down in a blurb or a byline, or if it's, if you've really given thought to the intention behind your work, does, is that something that's set or does that some, is that something that evolves over time? Is it changing currently? Like what is your current intention with what you bring into the world? So there are definitely layers and shifts. One thing I think I alluded to when I spoke about how I used to use Talia as like very much more the comedic angle and more the expression of the shadow and that now I actually feel like I utilize her to like speak more spiritual personal truths as I feel them to be true um, through the angle of course of the personality but I think um, I would say right now one of the one of the themes coming up really strongly in my work is meeting people and inviting people to go to the depth of themselves, the places that they've been hiding, like literally their shadows, and mm -hmm. to sit with it and to, and to be there. Because I think when we do that work, that's the recognition of like that untouchable part of ourselves, like, you know, our freaking souls, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes the invitation to actually have those awakenings to the fact that we're more than a persona comes through the dismantling, through, you know, facing stuff that we don't want to face. Like that can dismantle or start to dismantle this idea of this persona of who we're supposed to be or who we are. Mm. So I feel like one thing in me that is something that has become clear is like inherently I have a, a huge ability to see people's goodness. And I know that like part of my work is working with people who are in shame or in fear or canceled. You know, I really feel I'm supposed to work with people who are in those levels of, you know, like really wrestling with who they are, because I feel like I, I can meet people there. Is that a recent revelation? So I started working with my friend, Sarah, who's an astrologer in January. She looked at my chart as Talia. She gave Talia Brava a reading, but it was oh. all my birth information, Lucia. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you're like, I'm very Scorpio. Like I have so much Scorpio. She's like, you're here to heal, like particularly to heal men and like resurrect them. And I was like, okay. And it was kind of like an odd thing to be told because I hadn't really fully lived into it. But mm. now I'm like really seeing how that is actually playing out. And like, particularly as a female embodied person, I am in a female body and, and I don't have fear around the masculine. And I think that that's actually unfortunately unique, um, fairly unique. And part of that is just being really lucky, like having a wonderful relationship with my older brother and my dad and having nothing traumatic ever happen to me. You know, my dad said when I was, um, I'm not sure, like when I was growing up, he said that you're adaptable and that really stuck with me. And mm. I, at first when I heard it, I was like, well, it's one of those eye rolling moments because I'm like, yeah, because you guys are fucking crazy. So of course I'm adaptable. Like, I don't have a choice. Like I'm moving bedrooms, like moving houses, like getting kicked out of mom's house, going to dad's house, like dad's having another divorce. Like 
life is crazy. Yeah, I'm adaptable. But you made um, me this way. Yeah, but I also felt like I took that as such a sincere, because like my my dad isn't super like when he says something, it really always lands. You know, like he's not someone. I think like like a lot of men, he doesn't not super effusive. He's very loving, but he doesn't throw around a lot of compliments and that when he does, they're very sincere. And I think that really stuck with me because I feel like I actually was able to hear the value underneath that. And, and I have like over the years recognized that as my greatest strength in a way to be Mm. able to, especially times like this when we're all having to shift everything. Yeah. And you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, sort of masculine and feminine and, you know, what a gift to be, uh, you know, to, to, to have that kind of relationship uh, with your father. And um, I, uh, I'm in the process of sort of unraveling some of my own issues around that so that I could and will, you know, be able to feel confident as a father myself someday. Yeah. Um, so to switch that around, that was your greatest compliment. What is the greatest criticism you've ever received and how did you receive that? That's hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, this was, this is bad. This is one of those things that echoes in me. A former friend really to hurt me, like uh, she was like, it's always the Lucia show. And that really got to me because I think as performers, it is a fear. Like, are we doing this for ego or to have everyone look at us? And it's almost like, it's, it's like when you take someone's diversity and their weird neural wiring and their strengths in a way, and then you sort of like that word weaponize when you twist it around and shove it back in their face. That's what that did to me. Mm. Um, because I know in my heart that like, I actually don't want it to be the Lucia show. I just can't help but be who I am. And that is somebody who is a performer. And when I try to repress that, it doesn't work. I literally will get sick, you know? So Mm. it was very hurtful. And I think um, it was like tied up with a whole lot of other stuff that made me not trust this person. So in terms of how I received that, I think, I was able to see how they were taking my greatness and twisting it around on me. Mm, I get that. I, and I know like you're, I don't know if this is true for you, but I feel from my experience, when you are in performer mode, sometimes you can't help but steamroll a moment because you're just in it and there's an energy and a feeling and, and it may be kind of egoic and you're just like getting that, that hit of attention or whatever it is that you're sort of craving. But sometimes it's hard. Once, once that momentum is like, once the die is cast, like you are going to shape that mold no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And I also feel like it's like the place and time, like the wisdom to know when to use what skills, like you wouldn't say to a, a, a martial artist, like you're too strong. Right. <laughs> you hit too hard. It's like, no, he's hitting hard when he's hitting at the moment he's supposed to hit. And then like at dinner, yeah, he shouldn't be banging on the table. <laughs> that is the wrong time to use those superpowers. Yeah, exactly. So it's like discernment, but I think you're right that it can, the trap, and I think there's traps in everything, but that's certainly a, certainly a thing when you get that hit and that approval and that's so in your wiring to not let it start to take over you and become, mm-hmm. become the Lucia show. 
are you still friends with that person? No. And you know, what's interesting. I'm such a, like in terms of being very highly Scorpio, there's, I think a lot of people see the vengeful side of Scorpios, but there's like a, a fierce loyalty where it's like, if you're my friend, like I, for the longest time kept trying to connect with this person and even saying like, I felt like we're soulmate friends, which I have that relationship with certain people where I feel like we are always, we're going to die together. Like, how could you leave me before we die together? Mm. Um, but I think the growing up in me has been really awesome to see what I feel like texting this person. I think like, what are you looking for? Like you're asking them to be someone they're not, you know, or like, is, so I think I'm, I'm learning, I love this phrase, self-honoring choices. And it's helping me be less attached to the idea of like keeping people in my life that aren't actually there for each of us to be the best versions of ourselves. It's like the, in a way that they, <clears throat> they don't support your growth. But I, I, do, I do get that. Yeah, I mean, I've weeded out so many people from my life and sometimes I wonder if it's me. I'm like, um, there's certain things that have come up. I had a, an incident recently where I was on a trip and I overheard a conversation. Granted, I was a little stoned, so I didn't want to make it like a big deal. But yeah. there was a joke made at my expense. I was, I was doing something. I'm learning how to play the guitar, right? Something brand new for me. I'm not good at it. I'm plucking the strings. I, you know, I find this like rhythm. And uh, I, I say to the group of people I'm with, I'm like, God, I really just like plucking the strings. You know, it's just like, it feels so good. And then I hear off in the distance, they're like, God, Brian is so cocky. Yeah, he is cocky. And then they're like, cock a doodle do. And then they're like, making all these like, like cocky ref, cock references or whatever it was. And I was like, I was high. And I was like, did I just hear that? And then uh, honestly, for like a week and even still now, like I haven't, I'm still friends with these guys. I didn't say anything then. I haven't confronted them myself. And uh, I'm sitting, I'm kind of in a weird place with that. What would you, what would you say as a coach to somebody in my position? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think. I think the power of it, 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 I think it does depend on how these people are in your sphere, right? Like there are certain conversations that make us, that they're, they're hard to have and then they bring us closer. And then there are certain friendships that like honestly are meant to stay surface friendships and like accepting that, like, where are these people in your sphere? And what would you say? Like, would you say these are people that you want to have that rich, like heart, 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 heart share with, or, does it feel like this is something that you want to work with on yourself and like not bring them that close into you? I think the, the intention would be to have a, like get to, to get to a point where I can have that conversation with them and be like, look, this is, I've been carrying this around for a couple of weeks. It doesn't feel really good. And I think it's getting in the way of us being better friends. So I, hopefully this, you know, and you know, what did you mean? Or what am I misinterpreting this? Like, I think we don't do that enough with each other. Like how, how, this is how I heard it. I don't know how you intended it. Um, let's get clear about it. So we don't have like this, some weird static or I don't, I don't develop resentment or some kind of barrier to us being intimate, right? As friends. And I think when you talk about the idea of like how our thoughts are shaped by media, like when we look at the way that we see discourse happen, it's like reality TV show or politicians. It's all just like confrontational calling each other out versus yeah. like being able to sit with like, you know, like the way you're describing it right now, like 
just a level of curiosity and openness and like this the general like or not general the very like core essence of you being good where you are and 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 you not needing them to be or do anything but just seeking more clarity because like the way that you just said that that conversation like it's not it's not like tell me that i'm not that or defend or or prove to me that you didn't mean that or it, there's no attachment to what's going on for them there's just like a genuine desire to clarify something that has been troubling you because it's unclear yeah yeah and it's like it's kind of triggering so uh you know it's like kind of like you where you have this like rift between people who you're like i thought we were close but we've never really joked in this way or we've never had a confrontational moment and if that's how you see me i'm unaware of how it is that i'm being that would make or allow somebody to see me that way and am i i like i could be missing something about myself so as a friend help me suss it out and that's not just like like joke about it behind my back or do something uh, along those lines that a little toxic right I'm, that's the kind of shit that i'm i don't want in my life so if that's how it's going to be maybe this is the thing that drives a friendship into the place where it needs to be and that's i think a huge thing that's come up with this isolation i think we're getting so much more aware of of who we are with ourselves that like when we come into relationships, we're just more clear on how that shifts. So it's like, oh, when I'm this person, like when I'm when I'm choosing to connect with this person, this is how it feels because we're not just bombarded by connection along like we used to be. True story. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're all connecting in new ways and like connecting with ourselves in new ways, which I think is the the, the silver lining and the bittersweet notion. <laughs> Tell me what you think about this sort of conspiracy theory of apocalyptic proportions, right? Because that's what I keep battling within myself is to steer clear of these doomsday narratives that I'm like, oh, well, let's check off every box in terms of what religion might have said the apocalypse looks like and how can we extract it metaphorically to really create a shift in our systems and our thinking and, and all the things that have been polluted. But I didn't hear a question there. <laughs> <laughs> My is there inter- a question that or is it just letting you into the window of your rabbit holes? <sighs> yeah, my interview skills are on point. Um, I don't know if there was a question in there. Uh, do you believe in Christ consciousness? Interesting because what's happened through this toxic masculinity is like men are afraid of themselves and like uncomfortable with themselves and so i feel like if i can help men like really come to find and love themselves like that's deeply healing so when you talk about christ consciousness i feel like that's something i aspire to and i feel connected to in that way of like not judging people on their thoughts or even their actions but seeing like the light in people and helping them connect to that Yes, I love that. And there is such a need for men to embrace the, uh, the new reality that what we were brought up uh, and modeled as um, masculinity and how men are, you know, sort of designed or whatever to behave in certain ways. I think there's, there needs to be an acknowledgement of our sort of lower 
predatory, whatever that is in nature that causes us to want to masturbate all over everything and everyone when we're younger and then find ways to secretly roll up our, you know, shameful thoughts and desires into behaviors that we cover, you know, and, and find ways to dialogue with, at least with our partners and our intimate, you know, and our intimate relationships, because it's, I think it's when we keep those kind of secrets, that's when we run the risk of them being expressed in toxic ways and in ways where, you know, the Epstein's of the world can surround themselves and protect their, you know, knowingly sort of atrocious behaviors. So champion is no good for anybody. Um, Yeah. So it's like, if I, if I have any like uh, desire, you asked me before about like a, um, a mission, Part of it is like healthy expression of all the parts of ourselves. Like there is a place for every, every part of us has a way to be expressed. It's just finding what is that? Like, Mm -hmm. how does this come out? And maybe it is like, you know, playing the drums or painting, like is going to, it's going to be a place to like exercise some like stagnant sexual energy that's been repressed. Like you don't know how it's going to come out, but it needs to be expressed. Yeah, well, that I think you're just alluding to how play can be a gateway into some of our deeper yearnings or our deeper, uh, you know, sort of uh, maybe even repressed. So, uh, in the interest of time, there are a few questions. I I want people to know how to find you and the kind of work that you do. And I know um, that you see coaching clients as Lucia Britzi. I also know that you, uh, that Talia Brava can actually be the, uh, the gateway for people to work with you. Um, how does that connect with lighten up leadership? I'm, I've, I came across that. I want to, you know, to sort of, can you speak to your career path as it stands right now and how people can work with you? So the thing is I was raised by a coach. So as long as I've, I feel like I've been doing comedy since I was born. I was also sort of doing coaching work in a way because I was mm-hmm. receiving it and being grounded. And then my first job was for my mom's company. So she started a women's leadership company the year I was born and I mm-hmm. worked for her my whole adult life. And, and so basically a lot of the work that I do is Tali Brava and in my personal life as a coach is from the leadership sphere. So I've had the opportunity to like work in like major corporations when I was far too young in experience. And that's been like my training ground for mo- like a lot of my coaching work. Um, mm-hmm. So I have like that. And then alongside my spiritual work and then my creative work all feeds into my personal coaching practice. Um, Lighten up leadership is a place where I'm doing the leadership training, but no long, like not under. So I still work for my mom's company and I'm, you know, I run programming for next level leadership and, and it's an amazing company. Um, but Lighten Up Leadership is just an opportunity for me to really continue to flex that leadership training and coaching. Um, and the intention is lightening it up. So being mm. a little bit more loose, like, you know, if you hire Lighten Up, we're not, we might curse every now and then, you know, it's bringing a little bit more play into the corporate arena um, because it's felt so tight that I didn't know if I could actually survive or breathe in that environment. So yeah, 
that's that's the intention behind lighten up leadership is, is that it's like if i feel that way you know i'm no longer too young for the job like we're mm -hmm. actually the age of people who work in corporate environments and i have a lot of experience there so that's the the hope is that there's a space for a little bit more of that play inside leadership training yeah and especially in the corporate world because we know those are all you know those environments are all being restructured now so if they're rebuilt with the uh, foundation of you know play as a means to productivity and well-being i think that's important so i hope that people find you and book you all year long to bring that to to you know what can be a normally like a stale environment and um you want to just shout out your your handles for people so that they know where to find you on all those other platforms too because i i encourage everybody to dive down a deep lucia brizzi talia brava rabbit hole thank you um so yeah it's luciabrizzi.com taliabrava.com instagram lucia brizzi instagram for talia is talia nada brava she started the <laughs> channel nada the dismantler of brava the hyper ego so there's a whole, she's got a whole nother entity that she's channeling too. So Talia Nata Brada, Brava, Lucia Brizzi on the Instagram. Fuck yeah. Um, we've talked about so many things and I don't know how I'm going to edit this together, but we've talked about cancel culture. We've talked about the shifts between the masculine and feminine, toxic masculine. And we've talked about shadows and the parts of ourselves that we don't want to talk about. Um, and I don't know how how to sum it all up, but <laughs> this may be just for me to like go back. Um, but let me just ask you three more questions and then we can chop it up until the Zoom cuts us off again. What is your vision for yourself? So I think it, <clears throat> I have had a very bad relationship with money in terms of like feeling like I'll always be a starving artist. It's not something I can understand. And I have had that shift into that space of owning that to actually do great work in the world does take that overflow. You can't be in a, a, a constant worry about your actual survival. Mm -hmm. So I want to be in a place where I'm fully empowered to, to be the master of my universe and have huge ripple effects in terms of the way that I'm able to affect and change people's lives and help them create their own worlds. And I think that mm. is, that is the mission. It's like everything external is being ripped from us. The more we grip to it, the more painful it is. Mm -hmm. And so helping people redefine what personal liberation is. And for me, it's like, could I maybe move to New Zealand and have a retreat house and be this like, like goddess lady like that would be Ooh. that would be a great place to end up <laughs> that that sounds pretty juicy you just had maybe uh sparked a thought in terms of you know i, f I feel like if we're going to cancel anything in this culture it should be the idea of oh but that's just the way it, it is or that's the way it was and that's the way it's all you know like that's the way it's always been should be uh canceled from our culture um that. So that's your vision for yourself, New Zealand a retreat goddess. What is your vision for your community? Yeah, it goes back to that, um, that I'm surrounded by people who have that twinkle in their eye because they are seeing, they're, they're really understanding that the mind is everything and that they can build and create. And that is what they're here to do. We're here to create and that they're, uniquely express the way that children are just as 
each, no two, two four-year-olds are doing the same thing on the playground. They're all such freaks and we really truly are that diverse. So stepping into their sense of everything that I thought was weird about me is actually what makes me amazing and like seeing the beauty and excitement and curiosity all around them. Um, I almost got choked up listening to you uh, in that bit of truth. I think that was what was communicated to me. I connected with that pretty deeply. Last question. What is your vision for the world? Oh, man. So I, I keep thinking like I'm not even an optimist about the future. I'm optimistic about the future of the future, <laughs> the future, future, a few futures down the road. Um, <laughs> my vision for the world is, is, to come into a place of trust of nature and humanity that enables us to live without rigid structures of control. And I, we're so far from that, but this is part of the process it feels to get there. Mm. And so we can actually live and let live in, in a way that is spiritually elevated and that our leaders are not those who are best at control, but rather our leaders become those who have attained the most spiritual understanding and can communicate that. Yeah, like they're conduits, not controllers. And I don't know much about politics, but it does seem a lot about controlling the population. Yeah, and, and that, that way of living worked for us for a while, and we're obviously going through some growing pains trying to experience something else. Um, I have another question. This is kind of a funny one, but how do you feel about putting your hand in a garbage disposal? So I don't have a garbage disposal, but they definitely scare me. I didn't grow up with them either, so they scare me. Like, they're really loud, and they definitely freak me out. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever okay. put your hand inside one? I, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I have a garbage disposal, and I probably have to put my hand in there three or four times a week. And regardless of how far away the switch is, there is always this, like, nagging, like... Oh. Like there's a mod, like, you know, like somehow that's like a Stephen King movie, like the garbage disposal that just eats everybody's hand. I feel, I, re I resonate with that. That's, that is scary. <laughs> I don't know why that, that question is like, oh, maybe let's... you lost a limb in a past life. Oh, maybe. I've had a past life reading actually. Um, and it goes, it goes to, uh, like what they call your affecting lifetime, which isn't maybe was, isn't your most recent car incarnation, but perhaps what lessons what life lessons are most impacting this incarnation yeah. and um i was a tribal elder in, in new guinea uh as a but i was decapitated as a politician i was a leader and a politician and i was cut off at the head uh because i spoke too much truth i guess wow which which might be why i've never really fully committed to a life of outspoken performance or nature or I've always found a way to sabotage myself yeah, or tension in you between those things of like seeing you know being like that that person who's like public and out and sharing their words and then like oh no that's too much even the thing with your friend that was triggering like that's so huge yeah i i thought about that from time to time because i always keep these things in my consciousness with a grain of salt or, you know, with just a little, I've never really fully embraced or embodied anything as being 100% true. No matter how many times I have done 12 different charts and they all kind of tend to say the same thing. And I'm like scratching my head about whether or not it's true. 
Um, I'm yeah. like, I, I don't, I don't know if I can know. And if I, I'm afraid if I commit to one school of thought, then it's going to be proven wrong. And then I have to like, just sort of, you know, reinvent myself. So if I stay in middle, like it could yeah. be true. Yeah, middle not? ground with everything. How <laughs> <Yeah>. doing? <laughs> oh, they're good. They, they've got all the barking out there sleeping around the, around the apartment. You know, they're probably um, like, I don't know what's going on, but I get a lot more time with my parents right now. Yeah. They, I don't know what it's, what's going to be like when I go back to work. I, yeah. if I go back to work, uh, I kind of don't want to, I kind of not, not that I want like, Oh, I'm, I'm starting a podcast. It's going to be my job. It's going to change my life. But I want to impose myself into the conversations like this that could affect change in somebody's life. I want, I really want to invigorate my mission a little bit more. So thanks for being a part of that. And think, you know, I feel like this, yeah, there's, there's always been an alignment, like you said earlier about how we sort of view and see the world and like, you know, satirical spirituality. It's like, it's all ripe for the picking, but you sort of, you make fun of what you love in a sense. So you like, like I'm into it, but I also think it's the most ridiculous thing ever and it's so over also there's something i think that's another venn diagram is like the top like the like it's almost like the Vin hoff gene where it's like extremists and personal spiritual growth junkies where it's like we really are just so curious at the edge of what's possible for ourselves and for others like that's what's exciting true true yeah because it really is about curiosity and i I think I've been I've been trying to distill a, a little bit of my mission to come up with like an elevator pitch just to clarify myself like why am I doing this why am I imposing myself in conversations about shit that gets me fired up and I think it's because I want to see people you know create more agency for themselves I want to see the the skills of discernment be a thing so that we are more in control of the narrative of our own lives and less susceptible to the influence of the automatic powers that be sort yeah. of fill, filling us with uh, the culture. I mean, culture is there for us to participate in, but we shouldn't do it by default. We should actively consciously make decisions, at least in my opinion, right? I um, totally agree. It's like the same tools that can enslave us can liberate us. And we have to be so mindful about when what's happening, being discerning about what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And you do that by having conversations with people like you, <laughs> people like me, people that, uh, that are curious. Cause I think that's the other part of it. I think if people can start to, to flip the switch in their own mind where curiosity is the jumping off point and not be so committed to being, like I said earlier, even like committed to being right all the time about this is the way it is, the way it's always been, the way it should be like that kind of language is really detrimental to growth. And if you really want to see things change then the change has to I feel like it has to start within each of us and how we choose to say the things that we identify with in our worlds so the new normal as if we ever really knew what normal was is really about me trying to infuse what I think should be normalized like conversations about masculinity and sexuality and conversations about our shadows and conversations about and 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 for people to i think breath work in any form is such a tool to create agency because it is a fast track to embodied awareness yeah yeah i mean it's very very powerful and it's like 
Yeah, it, it is. It's kind of like meditation on PCP, but it's all also natural and no PCP. <laughs> no, no, no PCP. It, it does release certain similar chemicals in your brain. I would love to to grow this in a way where even if by me putting out putting myself out there, if people are inclined to be like, "Oh, I fuck with you. You do the breath work exactly. shit." I follow this dude on Instagram. He is he goes by Illuminati Congo. He's a hip hop artist but he's also a breathwork facilitator. So he has a separate profile called the breathing God. And I fuck with that dude so hard. <laughs> like he's like, I'm like, I, that's inspirational to me. I would love to. That is, yeah. That's part of the new, new normal. It's like my friend, Sarah, the astrologer, she's now one of my best friends. And what she really gave me the aha was like, you use comedy to sell coaching. Like other people use their comedy to sell commercials for like cars, you know, if they're on ABC. So you're not not a comedian. It's just your comedy is the way that people get into you. And then they buy a coaching package. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that really does make sense. I, I like right? that. I like that perspective shift. Me too. It was so liberating. I was like, so it is. I think this new normal is all about this. And, and just noticing, like, yeah, our hybrids. That's what's so exciting. It's just really like getting excited and leaning into like the weird hybrid that is our yeah. offering. Right. And each of us have that. And I, I love what you said earlier about discovering your less savory personality traits or characteristics or things that have been identified in your shadow turning out to be your, your superpower. Your, you find strength in that. And I mean, it takes a long time to get there. And I, think other people would really benefit from exploring that for themselves. Like what are my weaknesses and how it's almost like your relationship with yourself can shift as well. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it goes back to that Brene Brown thing. Like you can't select numb. It's like you also can't selectively repress. It's like people who are like, mm. I don't know how to have fun. It's like, yeah, because you know how to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I don't know what I, comes first, but. You're either going to laugh or you're going to cry. And I don't know, man. I, I really do want to see people blossom and come into their own, a greater understanding and awareness of what they have to offer. You Like those four-year-olds that you mentioned on the playground, they're, they're all super freaks in their own way. And you can, I think you can reclaim part of that as an adult. And, you know, through a myriad of different ways, you can actually increase your capacity for wellness and improve your health by incorporating play and, and these other sort of um, wellnessy type things, you know, that leads to agency and leads into better self-awareness. Well, this is a great place to stop. I, and some of the juiciest shit just came out in the last five minutes. So I'm glad we're still recording. Let's talk, let's do a breathwork session soon. I'm, I'm down to set it up whenever. Um, and thank you, Lucia, so much for your time and energy and the gifts you keep bringing into the world. Lucia, what a treat, right? Be sure to check out her work. You can visit her on the web at luciabritzi.com. That's L-U-C-I-A-B-R-I-Z-Z-I.com. Or on Instagram at luciabritzi or Nada brava. You can book her for a coaching session or attend one of her creative workshops. Highly recommend uh, checking her and her workout. I suggest you get in touch and find out what she's all about. It's one of a kind. You know what? Don't let yourself get in your own way. 
use your imagination to break out of the patterns that you feel might be holding you back. Again, it's a story that you're telling yourself, but whose story is it really? If it's yours, you have the power to change it. And that's what we're here to do. I can't thank you enough for listening to me rant on about life and all of its weirdness. This is New Normal, and I've been your host, Brian Newfang. Come back for more weird stuff next week on the show. Come on back now, you hear? As I'm sure you guys know by now, it is extremely difficult to stay alert and attentive instead of getting hypnotized by the constant monologue inside your own head. Maybe happening right now. Twenty years after my own graduation, I have come gradually to understand that the liberal arts cliche about teaching you how to think is actually shorthand for a much deeper, more serious idea. Learning how to think really means learning how to exercise some control over how and what you think. It means being conscious and aware enough to choose what you pay attention to and to choose how you construct meaning from experience. Because if you cannot exercise this kind of choice in adult life, you will be totally hosed. Think of the old cliche about, quote, the mind being an excellent servant but a terrible master. It's the automatic way that I experience the boring, frustrating, crowded parts of adult life when I'm operating on the automatic, unconscious belief that I am the center of the world and that my immediate needs and feelings are what should determine the world's priorities. The thing is that, of course, there are totally different ways to think about these kinds of situations. Please don't think I'm giving you moral advice or that I'm saying you're supposed to think this way or that anyone expects you to just automatically do it because it's hard. It takes will and effort. And if you were like me, some days you won't be able to do it, or you just flat out won't want to. But most days, if you're aware enough to give yourself a choice, you can choose to look differently at this fat, dead-eyed, over-made-up lady who just screamed at her kid in the checkout line. Today's secret track brought to you by David Foster Wallace, RIP. It was a great speech. Look it up on YouTube. This is Water by David Foster Wallace. As always, thanks for staying tuned. This is New Normal. I'm your host, Brian Newfang. Peace out.